you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. You know, uh, this Ohana thing, it started as just a name and, and uh, you know, about, uh, in regards to family and, and what they call it in the islands. And, and then uh, it really has felt like family with all the different bands and all the crew. Everyone seems really fucking happy around here. It's just a joy to participate and share. But, you know, another thing that I should say is that most everybody who's played in this last two weekends, it was their first time you know, ever being in front of the crowd in, in the last almost two years. And, um, and uh, because of this feeling of safety and, 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 and great community out there with quality people, um, it really has made it feel um, so welcoming and, and so we're so thrilled to be able to do what we used to do. And um, not that we ever took it for granted, but um, we can't thank you enough for, for uh, making it feel the best it could. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and for this episode we are going to ohana which is where the well the lead singer of this band was about a week and a half ago whenever that was over at doheny beach probably should have had this episode last week but you know, sometimes things just work out in a weird way, but it really doesn't matter. That Winnipeg show was very, very good. So this is the second night of Ohana Encore, and you have to think about what was going on at the time. And at the time, just a month earlier, and maybe even a couple weeks earlier, with See Here Now and the band really entering the world of Gigaton for the first time since COVID, you know, a lot of people were really desperate to see something from this band and it was something that was a void in all of our lives for well over a full year on top of everything that was going on in this world and it was felt like at the time something that we all needed 
And I kind of remember that once they announced the encore shows that everybody flocked to it. And if they didn't have tickets for See Here Now originally or the original Ohana, then they made sure that they went to encore and made a weekend of it. We're going to talk to Dakota Duval, who requested this episode. And he's one of the guys who also just jumped in and said, you know what? We were supposed to see a bunch of shows in 2020, so we have to make this work. And honestly, for so many people out there, it was probably the first time that they had been in public like that and been around large crowds since COVID. So we'll get into all that. It's all worth it. It's all good. And obviously a very, very recent show that I'm sure is on a lot of your minds. So let's dig in. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Hey. Yeah, it's funny. We just experienced the end of the Gigaton era, and now we're going to go back to the beginning of it. What's that Smashing Pumpkin song? The beginning is the end is the end of the beginning, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess guess it is kind of interesting from that standpoint that we just finished this, and obviously what we know of the Gigaton songs now, they really sort of went and took a nosedive during this tour, I don't think there were yeah. more than three songs played per night. And then here we got five and every song on these four shows was played aside from comes and goes and which we know that has been played yet now. So it is a little bit of a different time. It feels like, yeah, a lot of these gig done songs that they play at this show feel like they're hitting a stride and feel like the band is putting an extra emphasis on them that they had held out on them for so long. and. They do feel fresh as opposed to maybe some renditions from the last year or two. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was that thing that we heard from Stone back in 2020 before that tour was canceled. That like, yeah, we had everything rehearsed. We were ready to play every song. We had it sounding good and ready to go. And then it all got put on the shelf. So, yeah, you're looking at a year and a half later, they finally get unleashed. And like, yeah, I can imagine they were excited to play these and then yeah, you wonder, like, what happened? I mean, some of them hit, you know, Dance the Clairvoyance, Quick Escape, whoever said. Those are kind of the three that really took off, and you you got more than the rest. But some of them, like, take the long way we're going to talk about today. Never really stuck. I think All Right didn't even get played once on this last tour. That's crazy. Yeah, and you have to think, like, is this the trajectory that this was just going to take? Or... Were they really prepared for all this? Like three of the four shows, this whole stretch, they opened with a gigaton song. The only show that didn't get opened with one was the the Encore Night One, which I believe opened with Low Light. So they wanted to showcase these, and it seemed like they were just excited to get them out there. But even a song like Super Blood Wolf Moon that's opening the show did not really see any time at all it was a terrible version when they did play it this year but i don't know what that means for the future of it but it has to be bleak you would think it'll be really interesting to see once we get new songs if gigaton was just the blip in the live trajectory of albums or if they really make a concentrated effort to push these new songs live and really make them work that's one thing i'm really going to be looking for when the tour comes back is like how do these gigaton songs mix in do they just drop them completely does this new album continue the same process or is they're going to really push to keep it around yeah, I think the whole Gigaton is just based off of really, really bad timing. I yeah. think that's its problem. 
Not that it hasn't had enough time to stick, because songs have stuck. Like you mentioned, those three that are the top dogs on this record, they've stuck around. But I don't know what that means in terms of like regular play. I think Dance of the Clairvoyance will be here to stay. I think whoever said if Dance of Clairvoyance is every two or three nights, whoever said might be every four, Quick Escape might be on that scene playing about every four. And then does Gigaton go the way of like a Riot Act or a Binaural where like nobody even touches those songs? And I think having the new ones from new TBD record, I think getting those out in the open and playing them on a full tour will help those songs progress and develop because it doesn't feel like they're necessarily I wouldn't say they push the gigaton songs on people but when it came to a time in 2022 where everybody was just like yes let's see Pearl Jam and arenas again where they belong I think everybody just wanted the comfort food songs they wanted black and they wanted corduroy and they wanted all the songs that felt good to be a Pearl Jam fan listening to like the, just the standard stuff. I remember at Toronto, I went to Toronto last year and Jeremy got a massive reaction and throughout the years, it'd been so down on that song because it kind of Jeremy and it's sort of kind of lost in the past a little bit, but once they did it live and that crowd reacted to it, like that's the kind of thing that they were waiting for, for at that point, like over two years. So, they don't really have that to compete with as much. Obviously, nostalgia is always going to kick in, and people are going to want way more 10 and versus songs than they are going to want binaural. And I, I'm speaking more towards like the, and I wouldn't even call it casual, but like the fan that started off right from the beginning. They always are gravitating towards that stuff and not every single fan, but it's it's a generality that you can speak of, but it might bode well for the new record to kind of start fresh and anew and, and get a different kind of treatment. We'll see what they have. We'll see how many they have, and we'll see yeah. if they are live songs that will yeah. stick and relate to people. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I hope that's part of the process is like part of the song, right? Like, let's find stuff that's going to connect in a live setting. And to it, I think it says a lot, you know, especially 2022 in this past year, when it came time to cut songs, it was often the Gigaton songs that got cut. You know, how many times did 7 O'Clock get cut? How many times did River Cross get cut? Oh, don't tell the lugger that. I know, I know. And I wonder if what we're going to see when this new record comes out, if it's going to continue that or if they're going to try to make these new songs stick a little bit. I'm, I'm really curious to see. What I'm trying to say is announce some shows so we can talk about it. <laughs> well, who knows? It might be sooner rather than later. You, you just never know with this band. Obviously, the day before this comes out is 10 Club Newsletter. There usually ain't jack shit in the newsletter, but they can surprise us every now and again, I suppose. But yeah, rumors all over the place. Like It seems like 2024, barring any catastrophe that means the world is going to explode, it seems like we're going to get a couple Pearl Jam shows. So we'll find out, I guess, sooner rather than, than later on that standpoint. So we talked to Dakota. He requested this episode under the Horizon Lecture on Patreon. So he got 
a little profile episode attached to his request, and we recorded that. That's going to be over on Patreon at some point. Probably not that soon. I am currently, during this episode, on a cruise in Bermuda, so I'm not going to be doing anything. You won't hear from me for about a week or so if you guys are like, oh, where's the promotion for the episodes? Like, that's, I'm out. I'm on vacation. So you'll hear from me at some point in the future, like next week, I suppose. But anyway, I wanted to tee this up as kind of like COVID happened. You had a couple tickets to 2020 and like this opportunity came about and Encore was something totally different than the regular Ohana weekend. And it was a chance for people that really didn't get the opportunity to see them at all. And I think that would be the majority of people that went to that show. You now have this open to you and yeah, there's going to be risks. You know, you're getting on a plane, you're going into an airport, you're going to be within crowds outside. And you know, is it like one of these things? Well, do you want to wear a mask during a show on and on and on? You guys know the whole ordeal. We just lived it. It doesn't, matter in that retrospect but i wanted to get dakota's story on the decision that he made here so we're going to talk about that at first and then we'll get into his whole entire bit about what he loved from the show and why he requested it so take it away dakota i know tickets went on sale in july i just left my full-time job that i had at the time was going back to an old job that i had part-time we were very tight on money. We bought the tickets we probably shouldn't have. It was probably more stress when we bought those tickets at first just because of the financial obligation we made to it. But it was something like there was just no, we're like, we're going to try to get tickets. And if we get tickets for it, hell yeah, let's go see the band. See the band in California on a beach, back-to-back nights. I was like, let's let's just go out there and, and try to make it happen. And the stress that I had about money didn't last very long at all because I was instantly like, holy shit, let's go. Let's go do this. This is awesome. I was so stoked after that point. So it was something, it was a terrible financial decision, but I wouldn't change it now. I think it's pretty obvious when you listen to it. It's like, okay, you want to gravitate towards it because it's the fourth of four shows and it was just a small taste in 2021 and you kind of wanted to take every bit of it in and the band knew that the band the whole entire night was just like if we have to go off on this and this is asked to be our last show of the year we want this to be the funnest show that we've ever put together so feeling all that vibe and everything like that like the day and and being on the beach and all so like what struck you about this the whole weekend, it was so awesome. We'd never been to California before. Weather was beautiful and you know, band had been gone and we just wanted to go see shows. And night one, we got down there as early as we could. We ended up going in, we grabbed our poster and everything and we just headed straight down. Night one we did, we were four or five people back from the rail and we were there the whole time. Day two, we scaled back a little bit. We got in the venue still same time just kind of moseyed around the festival grounds a little bit more. So it was more of like just the experience because we were like, hey, we were closer than we'd ever been at that point. We were five people deep from the rail. This was awesome. 
let's enjoy a little bit more. Let's go walk around, kind of check out the little shops that they had. We just kind of went up, sat on the bleachers, and there was just a nice wind draft up there on the bleachers. So it was just so cool, like, hey, let's experience it. And then when NHC was coming on, Navarro, Hawkins, and Chaney, I think they hit the Ohana stage at, I want to say, 2.30. There was a band that started on the Tiki stage at 1.30. About 2.30 when they're getting ready to come on, we'll go down. So we headed down there. We were probably at that point. 15 20 people back from the rail it was cool though we met two guys the day before that they were from phoenix arizona they drove out from phoenix so we were just kind of talking night one and it was cool because he was like you guys are young they're probably in their mid 40s late 40s or so they traveled seen them a little bit and they're like you guys are young so we kind of talked to him night one night two we ended up walking up just when we walked up and as we walked up, we just stood there and looked to our left. Those same two guys were standing there. And we were just like, holy crap, we were with you guys last night. Like, hey, I guess we're going to be together again tonight. So we just kind of hung out all through the bands that day. And it was an awesome set of bands throughout the day. And like, we went in, never been to festivals before. So night one and night two, we were just taking in all the new bands and all the new artists that we'd never seen or never really heard of. So it was cool. I mean, we left there with multiple new artists that we still listen to today, which was awesome been around those people and we hadn't been around a crowd of people for it feels like almost two years but at least over a year and a half at that point so it was just cool just to be around those people and just be at a show again and the the show itself was high energy when you look back at it now like listening to the bootleg again today that i've listened to multiple times it just man it sounded good the band sounded good it was the kickoff to the gigaton era and now you see similarities to it that you're getting today with the same kind of number of songs and obviously not the variety that they did in 2023, but in 2022, it was pretty similar to the sets that they were kind of playing. A little bit more gigaton heavy because it was those first four shows. The band was grateful to be there. The crowd was grateful to be there. Everybody was just there enjoying it in the California night beach sky. It was beautiful. Was there a little more kind of weight in the audience knowing that like, these were the first shows in three years and like finally getting together and be around people and be at the show. Did you kind of sense that or was it more of a tension or more of a relief? I know for like me personally, it was a little bit more tension. I felt like in between when I'd seen them in 2016, when I'd seen them in 2018 to then, my phantom had just grown so much. And that was when I really kind of started to dive into bootlegs a little bit more and doing more research on. So like, I know personally, like I was more tension, especially night one, I was a little bit more tension. And I always get this nervous feeling before the band walks out like excitement, like butterflies almost, like, oh, you know, they're going to come out and who knows what they're going to play, but I know I'm going to love it. And it was a Saturday night and there was more people there and they were more jam-packed in and you could feel the tension more Saturday than you did on Friday. But as soon as that band walked out, that was the instant relief. And they kicked in a Super Blood Wolf Moon and it was just, as soon as Matt started those drums, like it was just a, all right, it's go time. We're all here for the same thing. Let's enjoy this together. What impressed you from this show? There are a lot of really good moments where Mike gets to go off. The band is in very high spirits. Like what were some of the things that really spoke out to you? I know from this show specifically, I've always referred to it out of my 11. Like this is the Mike McCready show for me. Every time he had just a little inkling to solo, it was beautiful. And then obviously even flow is killer out of my 11 shows. That is my favorite even flow. I've went back to it multiple times because Sometimes as fans, we just want to be like, man, I, I could go for a really good version of Jeremy or Evenflow or Alive. And when I have that feeling of just wanting like a good Evenflow, I go to this one. 
Porch, he goes crazy on Porch. Black, he goes crazy. I just remember during Even Flow, like we were a little bit to the right of Ed, so obviously a little bit more towards Stone's side, but still pretty much head up with Ed, about 20 people back or so. And I just remember like during Even Flow, all 20 people ahead of me, their heads were facing left directly at Mike. Nobody was looking at Ed, nobody was looking at Stone. There were however many people that I could see, all their heads were cocked left looking at Mike. He was electric all night. Every time he had a moment, he crushed it. So, I mean, Mike was on fire and Quick Escape was great. And they didn't play at night one. And I just know Super Blood, like all night, last exit, Lucan out of the get-go. They were killer. And Corduroy actually got cut night one. It was supposed to be in the encore. So that was something like you could feel that we were waiting for Corduroy to come. And so as soon as it went Lucan and Ed hit those notes for Corduroy, like it was... Like you always say, like that was the moment of we are here. We are at this Pearl Jam show. Let's go. Let's get after it. Let's sing this. And I think that like they were energized before that, but Corduroy really just shot them to the moon. All right. Thank you so much. Dakota is such a good friend and has become such a good friend over the last year and really part of our little group that we have on Discord and always getting involved in conversation. Whenever there's a show, we all do a Zoom together and watch the live streams and he's always there hanging out. And yeah, I can't thank him enough for just his friendship and always supporting this podcast. And he's very vocal about it. So, yeah, he's he's the man. And, yeah, I mean, be on the lookout for that episode. He's got a great story. For sure. For sure. All right. I think we can dive right into Encore right here. And three other shows. This is going to be the last one in 2021. So you got to start off. you got to bring it to the energy. It's not going to be a sometimes open or an of the girl or something like that. They didn't do that a whole lot on these four shows low light was i guess the opposite but they jump right in with super blood wolf moon right here time to get familiarized with just being back there and the whole wow factor i'm sure is not lost on them at all of like well we're playing to this many people and it's been so long especially because it's not like they played right before covid they were off for a whole entire year before that even happened so it's really like three years since 2018 this is a good way to kind of open and bring in some of that energy kind of unconventional the way that we know it now it's not open a show since and 
it really didn't get a lot of play this past year, but I, I kind of liked the little back and forth. You really tell like what Josh is doing on this and complimenting Ed, and the part that I really love is he's doing the la 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 la, and like it was a cool little connection there. And those are the little things from very early on that you were able to notice with Josh that he filled in and did those spots where maybe somebody in the band couldn't do it anymore or Ed had to be complimented with it. It's just kind of a fun-natured tone to start this with, and that would be the whole entire night. It would be songs like this, played with this kind of energy, and just getting the crowd into it. Ed says towards the end of the song, I can feel you, and that wouldn't be the last time he would say something like that to get the crowd really invested. Yeah, I mean, you were at Sea Here Now, and then you talked about shaking off the rust a little bit and getting out there. But here, this is the third show in a week for them, so they're starting to get a little bit more comfortable and to get into more of a routine. And you're seeing some of the looseness come back that makes Pearl Jam shows great, right? And there's going to be some performances here that are going to capitalize on that. This, however, I don't think is one of them. I don't love this. You can see Ed looking at a lyric sheet trying to be sneaky. Once it hits the midpoint, they really aren't sure like what to really do. Josh is definitely the highlight on this. All the stuff that he adds to I think you would definitely notice if the stuff he was adding wasn't there. But I mean, don't love this as an opener. Glad it hasn't been in that spot since. But just not a song that I think grabs people early on. So I'm going to say something on this show that I'm a little nervous to say because I have never said this before. And I texted with Dakota earlier and I'm just like, don't like go around telling this and spreading the word to people. But I, I've i seen this song 55 times, I'm pretty sure, live. And I've never felt the way that I felt listening to it on a bootleg that I did here. All night was awesome at this show like yeah it's good you know a song that i just have and and look if you're new if you're listening in for the first time or don't really know my story with all night it's just one of those songs that wherever i go it's only been played 28 times wherever i go it seems to follow me around i've seen it i believe six times over the course of you know since my first show i believe the first two shows i i got it at both so it's it's been around and it's kind of like the in-running joke you know we got it in nashville and i was just like no 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 this isn't happening kind of deal and now that it's been a while since we talked about it on the pod so we see it right here and it sounds amazing like better than any other version that i've heard especially the ones live but boy i yeah I think I remember that night and talking to like Patrick because Patrick was there and he was relaying the show over text to Dave Jantosh of Live Footsteps and I, and we all just kind of had a good laugh. Like, of course, of course this song would happen in the spot, but this was a statement song very, very early on. I agree. I think this is one of the best ones I've heard, best ones I remember hearing. It definitely has like an energy behind it. and. This is a great Mike show, and you can tell that Mike is fired up on all night. I agree. Like, I was ready for that conversation, but I'm going to side with you on this one. I, I like this version of all night a lot. And out of this first set here, I think it's the stand-up. You might be right. Yeah, I don't know where this conversation is going to dictate where it's going to go, but boy, yeah, all night might come back at the end. Dare I say that? 
And what could have been an easy eye roll for me turned into me just loving Cameron, just pounding his way through this. these songs to feel this certain way live and they definitely had a theme they definitely stuck with it on this night and i guess it all kind of starts here so last exit would follow up on all night which is a song that i love and it was uh not the best version of it to me because mike's guitar kind of was a non-factor very early on kind of off for the first half of the song the ending killed like the crowd audibly reacted to it it was a big hit once they got it together but amazing how sort of the tide kind of changes here that usually i'm really gushing over last exit and all night i'm trying to run away from but that's completely the opposite yeah it didn't have that like attack to it it felt a little flat same with super blood i think it's possible. Yeah, it's possible that that could have happened. But, yeah. and then we'd see last year they would come out and they would try this drop tuning and it just didn't work right. at all. Right. You'd listen to it. And before you got into the lyrics, you're like, we just didn't know what song it was. It just was a completely different personality. And I believe that's a Nashville one as well. Those two might have been back to back at Nashville too, now that I think about it. But it's just a weird change of the guard, I suppose. So Ed, talking here, says it's like the last day of school around here. If you still got it, we're going to bring it tonight. Just an incredible day in music, artistry, and musicianship. And to do it here, to feel the breeze by the ocean, the ocean of energy that you've provided over the last two weekends, been like a perfect wave. If you were here last night, you saw Beck give one of my favorite performances ever. We take it as such a great compliment that Beck came back today just to watch. And not only that, but part of a now very legendary photo of all of the 90 stars. Yep. Pat mm-hmm. Smear. And it was in there. Taylor yeah. and Chad Smith and Dave Navarro. Right. It's like <laughs> your alternative rock radio station, every single artist that they play. So then he talks a little bit about like, you know, he strained a muscle of a large organ and, he says, I woke up he yesterday. He pulled his groin. Don't, don't pull. He pulled his groin. It happened. <laughs> I, look, HIPAA yeah. laws and everything like that, I just didn't want to get in trouble. I, I don't yeah. want to be the one that outs Ed for, you know, an injury, undisclosed and everything like that. Like, he can, you know, Pearl Jam can get in some trouble. So, hey, hopefully not breaking any laws, right? Anyway. He said he woke up yesterday morning, could barely stand up. was a little bit upset and angry. 
We made a couple of phone calls and somebody knew somebody with the Clippers. And then yesterday they gave me a shot of, I don't know what, a little bit of B12, a little bit of something that's harder to pronounce and verifiable and needed a prescription. It helped us get through the show last night. I woke up feeling much better. Even though I was feeling much better, they said I can get another one today. And I said, fuck yeah. So I guess that makes me a pro-vaxxer. All right, this little section is Lucan Corduroy Clairvoyance. Lucan early like this doesn't happen, so that's a bit of a surprise. And I guess it's kind of in the same interstellar overdrive mode here. 52 seconds and then right into Corduroy. Aimless. How close do you think Ed got with this? Uh, 75%. The ending sounded like he had it, and that's usually where it all falls apart. Hmm. So 52 seconds and, and being at 75% is pretty damn good. So it's early I'm, in the night. If it had been later, it would have been below 50% probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. So Corduroy happens after that, and that's, Dakota said, it's the one that make you feel like you're at a Pearl Jam show. No question about that. And we get to, like, the bridge jam there. There's no call and response, but it's a little bit shortened and tightened. I wonder if they kind of took into account the window that they had. It was only a two-hour and ten-minute show, so things like a very, very long Corduroy had to kind of been shown the door almost, right? Probably, and especially early on, they're still trying to make up for time. And like, this is a long main set too. It's only 24 songs, but a short encore and a long main set. So probably trying to pace themselves early, but still really good. I don't mind just a cool jam in Corduroy. There's no need for the theatrics all the time. No, it was awesome. I thought that Cameron and Mike, you felt that moment where they're about to explode. And like, you can feel that happen you can know that they're ready you can know that they're in position to do this and once it just drives into that moment and does explode that's like the big big release off of corduroy and it was a very very good ride on this version yeah it feels like you're setting a blaze in its tracks it's just absolute kind of massive showstopper once they really dug in at the end dance of clairvoyance I thought that this was a very cohesive version. A lot of times that we've seen, it's been tough for Ed and Josh to kind of find the same page at the end where they're looping everything, but they had it really nailed on this. I thought things really clicked well on this version, and I can't go back to all 31 versions of this right now, but it might be as impactful as I've ever heard it. Yeah, they, I mean, they played it all four nights, so they were fresh with it. Ed's going to address the crowd right here again. This song is about to leave this planet to find another planet because we fucked this planet up. It's pure science fiction because you know we'll never have another place like this. So let's save what we have rather than think of some bizarre fucking future that would only apply to the richest of the rich. I would like to dedicate it to the Surfrider Foundation for protecting our beaches, coastlines, oceans, and allowing people like me or Taylor Hawkins, who both caught our first wave right out there when we were 11 or 12. And of course, that song is going to be Quick Escape. I'm right now still on a massive high from that Chicago version. It, that sent shockwaves to my whole entire body. That's how good that was. It felt kind of like last year in the versions that I heard. It didn't cool. I get to that a little bit, but I did feel that kind of presence 
on the first version of See Here Now, and, and this is something, again, they played a three of the four nights, so it's something that they really wanted to showcase, and it does pick up a lot of steam and has, like, a big-time sound to it, but I don't think it developed the shockwaves as much as the moment I'm talking about in Chicago did. Yeah, I think this is where this show picks up a lot. I mean, you can tell Quick Escape definitely has that looseness feel to it where the band finally, you know, they're feeling more comfortable on stage having played four shows in two weeks. You can tell, like, some of the magic is coming back a little bit. This Quick Escape absolutely rocks, and Solo Mike just absolutely tears it apart. This is one of the first highlights for me, the first time where I'm like, okay, here we go, like, now we're in it. I want to preface this by saying that it didn't mean that I didn't like the song, the no shockwaves it just meant that i have a very very high standard of it at this moment just so you all there have been some really good versions yeah Yeah, yeah. sure have so another one of us that thinks that this is a very good version wants to talk about it is of course our friend and gear guru javier hervas so he's going to talk a little bit about the electric mistress use so let's dig into what he has to say Randy, hey John, hey everyone on the podcast. So we're covering Ohana 2021, which is super exciting to me because this is the year that we started to see more fun and new stuff in those pedal boards and those backlines, guitar amps, etc. And also new guitars in the arsenal. So Quickscape, one of my favorite songs of Gigaton. I think live sounds absolutely insane. It's intense. It has everything that I think we have been missing in maybe previous Pro Jam records, right? But there's a very cool, unique detail about this. At the end of the solo, Mike uses a new pedal that he added later on in between 2017 and 2018. This pedal is the Electro Harmonics Electric Mistress. This pedal was designed in 1976 by a designer called David Cockerell. Now, what's the importance of this? This is the same guy who designed David Gilmore's pedal board for Dark Side of the Moon. So he's kind of important in that world. But anyways, what it does is you can combine a stereo flanger with a flanger with a univibe with the chorus at the same time. Basically, you toggle a few knobs here and there, and it was going to give you that impression that you're playing underwater. That's where you hear at the end of Questcape. Hint, hint, you might hear it at the end of Light Wasted on the show too, but the really cool thing about this, it allows you to kind of tamper the wave if you want to call it that way. You can make the wave longer, you can make the wave shorter, you can make the wave deeper. It has a lot of really cool features and options that you can use as a guitar player. It adds a lot of flavor and color to the solo at the end. Personal opinion, I don't think that any live solo is even closer to the studio version. But it adds a new element because with one single tap, you can add three to four flavors to a solo that maybe in the previous tours, you needed to add maybe 
three to four pedals of the same thing. So it makes sense to me because Mike is always a huge fan of the 70s and 80s music. So adding a pedal that it was kind of around that era to his pedal board in 2021 is something that I think it adds a lot to the flavor. But yep, that's what you can hear at the end of the live version. Although at the end of the live studio version, every single pedal was on on that board. I can promise you that. All right. Thank you, Javier. We're talking a lot of Gigaton on this show, so he'll be back for 7 o'clock in a couple minutes or so. Wishlist has a couple of really good moments in it. As fortunate as Doheny and the moon shining off of Bruce Springsteen's Camaro's hood. And Wishlist in 2021 really needs to be discussed because it is always highlighted with the waiting on a friend tag where they're doing wishing on a friend. dedication to both charlie watt and norm mcdonald and it still feels like that aspect is really on their mind maybe even goes further than that maybe it just goes through because i believe a lot of celebrities we lost that year so it's definitely something that i think they wanted to implement and i think they did implement it a little bit more in 2022 as well i'm not remembering correctly if they did it this year i don't believe they did but cool little thing that just made this stand out in this era a little bit. Yeah, the resurgence of Wishlist is one of the big talking points of 2021 and 22, like a song that, that really had a nice moment and kind of got a little more of the emotion and the poignancy back to it a little bit. I love the wishing on a friend tag on this. I think that's a really cool way to tie those together. And the Charlie Watts thing obviously is on their mind, but merging the two together and bringing Wishlist into Waiting Our Friend, where it's not just a straight tag, he's kind of like merging them, always makes it feel special. Yeah, this is great. I, I love whenever this pops up. Ed's going to speak again here. Speaking of friends, I have a good one in here tonight. It's his 15th birthday, and it's one of his first big shows ever. My wife and I work for the EB Foundation, and this right here is Mikey, and he is a badass. Happy birthday, Mikey. This one's for you. Given a Fly was very, very good, and I think you can hear Ed really push himself. I thought Ed was excellent on this version, as well as the rest of the band, but Ed... Once he got to the first he was stripped, then he was stabbed line, he just lets it all go. And you can tell his voice elevates to another level on this. And I think once he got there, the rest of the band felt that and followed suit on it. It was very, very good. All but first he was stripped, and then he was stabbed by faceless man. Yeah, fuck it! He's still stabbed. Sometimes it seems strange, but in the sky, a human being I was. 
third song in a row in this little run that's very, very good. I mean, absolutely soars like given to Flash Hood. Just hits all the right notes in all the right moments. There's a cool part too. I think you see Mike run over to the other side of the stage, to Stone's side. I think that's where Mikey is, right? I think he goes over and has a little moment. You don't get to actually see it on the video, but I think that's what happens. And he put him back near the end of the song. Yeah, just uh, another really great performance. And the two Yield songs back to back here, very, very good. Yeah, Ed speaks a lot at this show, and I guess that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, but we're going to get another birthday wish because it was actually, and speaking of that, we recorded this a couple of days later after the actual birthday, but it was Josh Klinghoffer's birthday this past mm-hmm. week. So happy birthday to Josh Klinghoffer. Obviously not when this comes out. It's last week in present tense, I suppose, but... He mentions Josh, and he says he'll be doing his solo show, he'll be helping us out, making up the shows that we've been missing, and said most everybody who's played this past two weekends, it was their first time playing in front of a crowd in these last two years. Because of this feeling of safety and great community, it really feels so welcoming, and we're so thrilled to be able to do what we used to do. Not that we took it for granted, but we can't thank you enough for making it feel the best that it can. So says Josh's birthday and he just names off every instrument that he has back there and says once in a while he'll play a little backgammon with Mike McCready, but this one is going to be one that Josh, of course, is very heavily invested on, and that is 7 o'clock, packaged a little bit together with Not For You, but we have another Javier moment with 7 o'clock here. I think we're going to get into a little bit of reverb conversation. This is a really like a a wet dream for Javier to talk about this song because there's just so much going on. So we're going to let him talk about it first, then we'll come back and and you'll hear our say. So, all right, Javier, take it away. This is another one that I've been waiting a long time to talk about. Seven O'Clock is a really good example of how the band switched directions when it comes to gear and what they use on the stage. So before 2021, these guys were using fully run manual pedal boards, meaning you only have your pedals, you only have your cable, routing cables, all that stuff. And it was full manual control. So if you wanted to get maybe two to three things at the same time, you needed a tap down so you needed to hit three things at the same time or in different settings or different like tempos. But for 2021, it's the first time that we see MIDI controls on their boards for stones and for mics. What do they do if you're wondering what a MIDI controller board is? A MIDI controller is going to allow you to create a patch. Let's say that you want to use a tube screamer and you want to use an overdrive and a delay for one setting for one song. You can program that, and with one single tap, you can create that patch. Those three pedals are going to be on, which is great because then at 7 o'clock, Stone is the major driver of the song. He's using two Strymon pedals towards the left side of his pedal board right next to his MIDI controller. If you're wondering what MIDI controllers are they using, they are masterminds. So he's using the Strymon timeline and the Strymon Big Sky. The big sky is the one that is the protagonist in this song. Why? Because it's a reverb that it has so many different modes, but also has a mode that is called the black hole that you can go in crescendo. So whenever you're playing with more intensity, that reverb space, it gets bigger. It's like you go from a very tiny room to a large arena, and that's why you hear 
when they're playing the song after the chorus. It's pretty cool because on the bootleg recording, you can hear what he's doing. He's kind of like maybe dialing it in and trying to figure it out what's the intensity that he's going to use right before the start of the song. On Mike's side, he's using a little bit of delays. He doesn't have a reverb on his board yet, but Stone is the one that is creating that sense of like the room is getting bigger as you get to a full mute and then you hear its voice at the end. So yeah, pretty cool, interesting detail because it's something that we have not seen before and currently they do have those pedals on their boards now. Some changes here and there have been happening between 2021 and 2022 and yeah, I'm excited to see what they're going to pull up for the Navy tour that we'll get in 2024. Thank you once again. We'll see you back again, probably in a couple minutes, I suppose. But I wanted to get to Javier first because obviously there is an incident that does happen and Ed has to stop the show. It happened at all four of these shows where somebody was dehydrated, somebody had, you know, fainted. And it's one of those things that I'm glad that he's attentive to. I'm glad that when he sees it, he spots it and we have to stop the show. And yeah, does it break up the flow a little bit? Honestly, I don't think it does because the way that whenever they snap back into a song, it's like nothing had changed. It's back to right where they left off. So he takes a couple minutes and says, all right, you've been on the rail for a long time. You need some water. You seem dehydrated. And then after a minute or two, Ed gets the okay to go back. So Seven o'clock, one of the big features of the weekend, only one of four songs that were played at all four of these shows, and that and Dance of the Clairvoyance, only two gigaton songs that were played at all four. I think that this version, the way that they do it, and it kind of goes back to that big time energy where they can surge and where it can get really riffy, and I think that's sort of maybe what the song lost a little bit down the way in the latter years latter years maybe the song a little bit lost that once you get to this year it's still great live performance but it felt like this had more of a drive involved instead of relying on some of the other things that are happening with josh and all that like this was very reliant on the riff at the end instead i was loving this performance for the first part of it it just resonated so well sounded great band was on top of it it was going to be the best version of seven o'clock and then it gets stopped and then they lose that momentum when they come back it's fine but it just didn't have that extra intangible kind of magic to it i thought they lost it a little bit and it's like when you get that you can you don't even feel it and when it's gone it's gone i mean i you obviously have to stop you there he's going to do it and they're going to take care of him you have to do that but yeah, the song definitely lost them. It was it was gonna be an all time version, but didn't quite get there. Not for you. He's gonna dedicate to everybody and just kind of says all the people in the back of the beach, people on the beach, and saying it's for them. So smaller tables seats. All of you got so crowded, but this is perfect. We'll all make room. So Ed again, whenever he's changing lyrics, he's pretty loose and in a pretty good mood. You know that Ed's having a good time whenever that happens. So yeah, again, it's overall a little bit of the beach vibe and everybody you talked to that went to these shows said that just the nature of these shows and it goes for all Ohana shows and not just this Encore weekend, but specifically this Encore weekend, everybody just said there was nothing but like happy vibes and everybody was in great spirits as Eddie brought up a little bit before. 
and they rarely do aggressive versions of Not For You nowadays, but this is very much that party on the beach kind of vibe. Yeah, another song kind of like Wishlist that had a really good kind of resurgence starting here into 2022, some really good versions that came out of this. And it definitely changed, it evolved, but still they were able to do something really cool with it. There's some really good versions of Not For You from these last couple of years. This is one you get the real Modern Girl tag. They didn't always do that the past couple of years. They've kind of softened on that a little bit. We've seen the original outro come back a little, but I like this a lot. Part of a great of songs here still in the middle of the set. You kind of have no choice if Slater Kinney is there, right? Very true, very true. So Modern Girl caps that off and Even Flow comes right in. And look, I think Even Flow for a lot of people is going to be the moment on this and I don't blame them at all. And the way that you kind of know that, I always love when you're hearing that second verse and like, what is Mike kind of doing in between Ed's vocals? If he's shredding, if he's going off, that means he doesn't want to wait for that solo. And in this, oh yeah, that's what we get. And this solo, I mean, (laughs) he came out firing right away because his freaking guitar is in his mouth and he's biting it playing with his teeth and that's making a really interesting sound while he's doing that too so i guess just scraping it along the strings and, and creating that but the whole thing was just out to destroy all of your prior knowledge of other versions of even flow and and basically turn them to smithereens like this is that kind of version of even flow yeah like was he in a cage for two years I'm surprised the guitar didn't spontaneously combust on this. He's absolutely on fire, just tears that solo apart. One of the most fiery versions of the full solo you'll hear in the recent years. My favorite part of this is that part where it sounds like he just turned on a vacuum, almost like he starts playing a vacuum instead of like picking up the guitar. And I asked Javier what that was, and I think it's the POG coming into effect a little bit with the electric mistress as well so i mean just developing that sound like that's something you don't hear coming out of that that's how you know and try to pull that off. Yeah, you ain't doing it, so don't even try. And while obviously being blown away by the solo, Edge is saying, Mike McCready, Michael fucking McCready, and that boost from the crowd at the end just makes this kind of a modern classic version of this song. Ed's giving a nod to Matt here, and he says that Matt wins the Iron Man of the Day award. It's the fourth band that he's played with today. That's very, very impressive. Ed points out a guitar player in the crowd and says, well, maybe next year. I might need to swipe you. And 
yeah, the conversation goes on a little bit more, but he'll come back. And according to Dakota, he was a teen. So he was young, but he's going to come back into the conversation at some point towards the end of the show. So we'll bring that back. But apparently the guy really wanted to play guitar. The next one is one of the ones that Matt Cameron has written. And I guarantee that you cannot play anything that Cameron plays on. So splitting right here, take the long way and unthought known. Take the long way, I think, is probably the sneaky, sneaky, great live song off of Gigaton. And again, you have Matt just controlling the balance of this song, but Mike absolutely is one of his sleeper solos on this. And no, it probably won't see a lot of play in the next couple years. If it gets brought back, it'll be like, ooh, they did that one, but it's probably close to done. However, I think it needs a little bit more love than it has been getting and i think that over time it'll be one of those i don't know like is it going to be alongside get right where like people are like in the afterglow of it like oh that needs to come back and i might be saying that because that's a cameron song but it could be one of those songs in five years where people are like yeah we didn't really get enough of it why'd they take it away yeah, I can get on board a little bit with that. I think it's one of the ones off the Gigaton that's less than four minutes, which is a rarity on that record. But I think it's one of the ones that doesn't suffer from like too many words, and the vocal melody I think is really interesting. The lyrics are a little better than you expect them to be. The song's got a little bit of something to it that I don't think they've really found yet, but it's in the top half of Gigaton for me. I'm with you. This version I think starts out really good. It gets a little weird, which is fine, but... Yeah, just a really kind of weird song to connect to people, I think. I don't disagree with that at all. You know, Cameron songs are more based off of the time signature and everything like that, and that's not necessarily flattering to most people's musical ear, but if you listen to it in a different light, you can kind of respect it for what it is and appreciate it, but I I get that it's never going to be that song that pops from a record that people are going to be like, that needs to be here every night. So Unthought Known, I think, was a really good choice to add into this set. And I don't know if you caught this, but at the beginning, it seemed like, I guess it was Stone, or maybe it was Ed, was doing a like kind of a guitar version of Chopsticks at first. And then once they did that, then I realized they get into the riff and I'm like, oh, this song kind of does sound like Chopsticks a little bit. (laughs) A little bit. I mean, as much as a song on guitar can sound like Chopsticks. Anyway, that was probably the dumbest thing I'll say on this podcast. I might one-up myself later. Who knows? But obviously, see the waves on this here shore, all of the reference going back to the beach. That is all going to make for a good version of Unthought Known. You, you weren't getting out of here without getting that beach song. No, 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 no. Yeah, we didn't get oceans or anything like that. So, yeah, bring it out on a very positive and good energy version of Unthought. All right, let's dig into some standard hits here. Daughter, and that's going to go to once, and that's going to go into black, so we can kind of touch up on all of that in one here. Everything was moving so well in this set. It felt like a very cohesive show 
where the momentum was just traveling from one song to the next. There was no real down moment, you know what I mean? Like, there was no, like, eh, that song was really kind of take it or leave it. It felt like at least the pace of it and at least the cadence of the songs all kind of meshed really well together. And that's this little run where they keep going. It's going to be five songs in a row. Take the Long Way, Unthought Known Daughter, Once Black. And it feels like everything is in a perfect, cohesive set, all working and meshing well. The middle of this set really stands out to me. You lose me a little bit on the end of Take the Long Way and Unthought Known. I think it dips a little bit, but they're going to get it back very quickly. This version of Daughter is interesting, too, because similar to Corduroy, like you can tell he's not going to do a big... It almost turns into like a Blitzkrieg bop or an androgynous mind thing with the hey-hos, but... He kind of pulls it back a little bit and then does like a little improv about with open arms and forgiveness, something like in that vein, which is cool. But again, it felt like this crowd wanted like a big moment, but they don't get it here. They're going to have to wait a little more to get it. They're all like songs that the crowd reacts really well to. And maybe like a really good It's Okay tag would have been a very big highlight at the show, which weirdly they didn't play at all. They haven't played since... Fenway in 2018. I, I don't I understand that. I think it might be done. Oh, I hope not. I hope there's something. Well, I don't hope that there's something that comes along that necessitates it. But if it does, then I hope they think to use it in that moment. It's one of those things. It's very, very special. Just the transition between one song to the next, one song to the next. They're just like looking to package all these together. Like you almost never get black as that song that doesn't have a tee up to it, doesn't have like a moment to kind of settle. And you hear the final note of once and you're basically into black and it just kind of keeps all of the momentum swinging here. And it's another one where Mike is another big showcase on this version. Ed last week held out the B for a very, very long time. He's going to do that once again. Again, everybody is letting loose. They're putting together their most triumphant version of these songs and positive and good energy versions of the songs and there was one moment i noticed on video where mike actually glanced over at the video screen just to see the crowd zoomed in and see how they were reacting and how they were singing he was staring at that and he was getting a glimpse i thought that was really really interesting but i mean from spazzing out to getting feedbacks on the amps and dabbling with all those pedals mike was that again how long did he need to be kept in that box for during COVID? It just, yeah. Yeah, he's on another level here. And I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but Black to me is their best live song right now. But the, what you want to call it, the Gigaton era, 2021 to 2023, Black to me is the song that has really elevated and really become the big moment. I mean, and I know they don't play it every night. It's more like half or maybe two out of three if you're lucky, but these past couple of years this song has just gone into the stratosphere i think it is hands down their best live song right now hey since this date they've played it 21 times so it's being used and they're never gonna leave it out for a significant amount of time and honestly it's so tough to look at that song and say that there ever was an era that really didn't click because even i thought that 1998 was probably that like between 98 2000 you listen to some of those 98 versions, you're like, oh, no, no, these are excellent as well. They didn't expand upon it like they do now with the ending and getting into some we belong together, we didn't belong together tags and some other things sometimes. But 
I think ever since probably Avocado, this song has continued to raise the bar every single tour it's been on. So that's something special that not every song has. And a special guest here, Brandy Carlisle, coming up on stage and going to sing with them. And she was on stage with them at the first Ohana weekend, and it didn't go very well. There was a little haphazard doing Better Man. I think that something happened in there. I haven't gone back to that version, but that version was a little bit of a little bit of a wreck, and not due to Brandy's fault at all, but I think the band was just very, very excited to have her there. So we're getting a little bit of a mulligan, and she comes on stage with this gold-plated microphone. It is a pretty cool thing, and then it has a lot of thoughts about it. Calls it a Radio Shack mic, and then asks if she got it from Elton John. So (laughs) it's something that you kind of comment on whenever you see it. So, you know, if you haven't seen it, then definitely go out and, and look for the video. It's pretty apparent but there was a great record of covers that all kind of bands did and they were on that cover record and they chose this song called again today Brandy back in Safeco at the home shows, and that was a really special moment there. But I love when they do this, and it's not very often that they do. Just watching them together, Brandy doesn't look at the crowd once. She is looking into Ed's eyes the whole entire time, and he's looking at her the whole time, too. And they look like they're musically in love in this. It's it's a really, really sweet moment, and then You look back to Cameron after this, and he's got this big smile on his face. The band felt really good about doing this. This was, I think, around the time that she was putting out the word that, like, hey, I will sing for Soundgarden if Soundgarden is down. Mm -hmm. I think they had done, like, Searching With My Good I Closed during her set, maybe. Cameron had come out. I think that was one of the bands that he came out and played with was her. Yep. 
so yeah, like she was having a little bit of a moment in the community. But yeah, comes out with like the whole suit and everything, like got this whole look in the gold microphone, looking like a superstar here. Black really, I think, is the showstopper here, and then it should have really been the other set. Again, today, really, I think, you should have started an encore, and then you gotta give her them all, but they're just gonna push through it for time, so. I don't mind the song, but like, you forget that Christmas singles notwithstanding, this was the only new Pearl Jam thing we got for seven years, That's, this cover. Well, you had Can't Deny Me, too. Yeah, yeah, but, whew. It's kind of been relegated to like a footnote, but it's a great little song. I mean, this is the last performance of it. They haven't gone back to it since, but wouldn't mind if it pops back up occasionally. Not at all, especially if Brandy's in-house. I think it would have to be very, very highly considered. This is going to be the time the next couple songs, he's going to have some big speeches here and thank a lot of people and all that. So says this Ohana thing just started as a name, but it really does feel like a family with all the different bands and crew. Everyone seems really happy around here. And going into our fifth year, it's nice to think about long relationships. And one of the longest relationships that I've ever witnessed is two people that are on this stage tonight, Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament. They've been collaborating and been great friends. Never went to lover status, but they've been together for almost 38 years. Let that be known that loyalty can get you that far. And right now we're... We're sitting at 40. That's a long time to have a partnership. I think it's, I think it's Jeff who kind of blows stone a kiss a little bit as they're saying that, like, yeah, pretty funny moment. Mm -hmm. Which gets you in the smile. Like all lovers, they have to, I guess, uh, go the swinger route sometimes. Right. (laughs) I said before that I would say another really stupid thing in this episode. I think I just topped it. Went, went for it, went for it. No, uh, not on purpose either. Smile is great. I mean, give Jeff some credit. He's pulling off that guitar very nicely on this. And Ed lamenting in this, like two years, we missed you. Another little COVID reference, a COVID yeah. fuck you on this, but it's a perfect song for a very happy day. Yeah. Good little version here. After that, getting into porch, one of the things I've noticed about these past two weekends is that one of the strongest, most powerful, and passionate performances have been delivered by the people of feminine persuasion. Badass women, and it's just incredible. The power, the voices, the presence. I was thinking about it watching them and knowing all the shit that's gone down in Texas, to think that anybody can tell these powerful women what they can and cannot do with their own private body parts is so beyond me. It's time to end women's oppression fucking now. John... This was the speech I wanted in fucking Texas. And instead, we got everybody just needs to unite. We all just need it was very ah. I had conversations with people and they said that the little speech before whipping was inspirational and all that. And yeah, I don't disagree. It just man, with everything he was was holding back. He was holding back. With everything going on in Texas is not just it's with immigrants, it's with women, it's with just Texas existing as a whole. Sorry, people in Texas, but you know, if you're down there, you might understand, but eh, you can't tell people to be angrier, but you sure wanted more. So, yeah, you know, 1993 Ed is different than 2021 Ed or 2023 Ed. That whole speech gets you into a very just right on point, like going right into porch, no strummy, no riffy porch, but it's going right into what the fuck is this world. And that 
gives us a little nice one-two combo with the speech and everything right here. Porch sounds great. Mike is working on all kind of different pedal arrangements and riding that toggle switch real hard. Oh yeah, there was so much going on, but it's also, it's Stone and what Matt's doing here too. Stone is a very consistent, almost like dingy and dare I use this word grungy kind of riff going, but it sounded very distorted. It didn't possess that same kind of clean tone that you know for Stone to have, especially not in a solo. And then Matt is bringing a ton of thunder towards the end of this, and it's leading to the ending of a big night in the first set that had 20 songs. I don't know if you noticed at the end, but it's one of those things where Cameron is finishing off really hard, and then once everything stops, Mike has to be the one that makes the last sound. It's like kind of, you know, the clapping in a theater, like who's going to have the last clap. I think that was Mike here that wanted to have the last clap. This one definitely felt like it had a little bit of that pent-up energy, had some fire behind it from Mike and Matt. All right, well, that's your 20-song main set right here, which means it's time for the encore and time to pause for station identification. We'll make this one brief, you guys. No new patrons this week. We're still riding high off of all you guys joining up for the instant reaction episodes and everything like that. And once we get out of cruise time, we'll go back to making some evolution episodes and getting back to the late night series as well. And Gear Garage, like I mentioned, there will be an evolution Gear Garage that's coming up very, very soon. Again, it's all dependent on when, you know, cruise and everything like that. I got stuff going on in the life. You guys all understand that, but this is coming out every week. So it's kind of amazing that that still happens. But if you are interested in helping out this show and helping us grow and helping us fund a couple of things that we might need for the future, then what you can do is head on over to our Patreon and you can join one of our tiers. Look, for a dollar a month, you can get everything that you want to listen to. You can listen to all the episodes for the Evolution series. You can have access to every single thing that we've done. I looked the other day, I believe there are 374 posts that we've made to Patreon in five years. Not all of them are going to be audio, but still a lot. So there's a lot out there. Contribute a dollar a month, and that goes a really long way. I know it seems like a dollar, and your dollar would mean nothing because that's only one bill, but trust me, it all adds up into something massive. So that's not taken lightly at all. The bonus like patrons are extremely important to us. And if you are interested in having an episode request, kind of like what Dakota did today, but Dakota's over at the Horizon Leg tier that we'll talk about in a second. You can join for $5 a month on the Gigaleg tier. And for that, we will take your episode request and we will run your episode at some point later in the future. We'll talk about your story and, you know, hopefully it's something that we haven't touched up on. Like something that's not on our radar because those episodes usually end up being the best. Like Winnipeg from last week is a very, very good episode because it's a show that I tapped into but not in the same way that we do the research for this podcast. So very, very good to get those kind of shows in instead of your standard big show affair, like MSG shows and full album shows and all that. We've done all that. Like we want to do the stuff that's going to wow us that we're not going to pay attention to. So if you have that and you want to request that, then feel free over at the Giggle Leg tier. But you can also do that over on the Horizon Leg tier as well. That's $10 a month. 
And just like Dakota, you will get a profile episode. You'll get a profile on our website. The plan is for at some point at the end of the year to really put together some merch packages too that are exclusive to the Horizon Leg tier. So some pretty important things are happening right now and we just need a little bit of your help to stay afloat and keep alive while the next tour hopefully comes very, very soon and we'll see what we can fund with that. But that all comes with your help, you guys. So if you are willing to donate, it is patreon.com slash live on four legs, or you can just download the app, search for live on four legs on that Patreon app and you will find us. So you can subscribe that way, or you can go to our website and click the become a patron button. That will take you to either of those two ways to subscribe to this show. So that's all I have to say this week. So we're just going right back into the rock. we got, nothing else except for hey next week will be 30 years of verses so look forward to that but back to the rock here another long speech from ed while wasted reprise is the backing to this and he's saying i'm glad you're still here i never want to leave seattle's been very good to us but i might want a spot down here i have some important thank yous to make i'm not going to mention all the thank yous i'll mention a couple and we'll get to the case i suppose our team is a guy named Mark Smith, Rich Best, and Nicole Blinky. They invented this shit. We had an idea that we wanted to be as close as we could to the beach, and we had no idea that it would be a beach with so much importance to our history, and we're so happy to be a part of this neighborhood. Speaking of the neighborhood, he thanks people in the California State Parks, thanks the team on site and some other friends and other Ohana staff members, all of the crew that are badass and they're bringing it, then he mentions the chief of police. Boom stops for a second when he says this. He's like, just in case I get pulled over later, I'm going to mention the chief of police. And, and Boom stops in his tracks. It's a very funny moment. And then calls her a badass woman as well. City manager and the mayor, Jamie Federico, talks a little bit about them and says the mayor served two tours of duty in Afghanistan then worked with some interpreters in Afghanistan for a little while and befriended them. And when everything went down at that recent moment, Jamie was able to find these people, have them pulled out of Afghanistan before an IED went off 24 hours later, right where they were standing. So that's pretty incredible. Life wasted out of the reprise bed. Interesting choice to go to instead of something like Jeremy that would have gotten you everybody doing the woes and stuff like that but i think they probably made the right choice because this is a really killer life wasted matt has some filthy fills in this that are worth talking about playing with three songs left of course but there is a huge moment that comes here it's after ed does the let the sad song play and he just kind of says fuck that shit and cuts himself off gets off mic and doesn't sing the rest of the chorus really he's kind of backing up and he wants the crowd to be more invested he's kind of like come on come on come on and doesn't sing some of that final chorus which means mike gets to go off and when Mike gets to go off, that means you flip the light switch for Javier to go on. 
So Javier is going to talk a little bit about life wasted here and some of the things that Mike was doing, like the way that he's picking the strings on this sounds really, really unique. I can't wait to hear what he has to say. So let's take it away from life wasted. So Randy and I we were talking this week and he was like, what is that thing that is happening at the end? So when you're playing guitar, when you're playing a solo setting, you find the same note in multiple places in your fretboard. So when you're soloing, in this case, it's going to be string number one and string number two. Let's say that you're hitting a C. Well, you're going to find C in both spots. But in this case, if you hit both at the same time and you bend the second string, you're gonna create that sense of like somebody's pulling the strings on you. That's when you hear of Life Wasted. This is a trick that has been showing up since 2006. The backbone of the solo hasn't changed very much except for the end. He kind of starts in the same way, using a little bit of delay, using that technique that I just mentioned, and then he just goes nuts at the end, going all the way to the top of the fretboard. Pretty cool detail too, because again, is a song that I think allows players to improvise a little bit more if my memory is correct is kind of like a blues setting in a three-bar chord for a blues which is kind of interesting because it was applied to a rock song which is amazing but yeah that's what you hear at the end you hear a little bit of the electrical mistress at the end as well combined with a little bit of why and delay while fully manual control he has no mini control over that yes you can do that over a wah pedal but I'm pretty, 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 pretty sure that just with one tap, he has that setting for that kind of song. But it also is going to allow him to just to have more options for songs like maybe Porch, like Wasted, Quick Escape, or maybe even Alive. Because even in 2021, in 2022, there was a little bit of that electrical mistress at the end, plus the Mutron that it was added in 2022 that we will discuss us some other time. But yeah, that's why you can hear in Life Wasted. All right, Javier, thank you so much. Again, contributions are fantastic, and we will see you next week for Slims, of course. After that, Ed is actually going to thank Boom here, and he's the man who taught him what Ohana was. That's important because a lot of his history tied in with Hawaii and everything like that, and a lot of it goes through Boom, so important to mention that. We're closing out our night. It's alive. It's rocking in the free world. And while Ed kind of sounded like he was out of breath at moments on Life Wasted, there's just a lot of partying going on. I feel like it is exhausting all that positive energy, and it does feel like there are moments where he needs to kind of take a minute, just breathe for a second. I know it's exciting out there, but just breathe, take it in, and relax a little bit. There's just a lot of that pent up that he wants to get out, and especially with two songs left for the whole entire year and not going back on tour until May, take this in and enjoy it as much as again. But again, like sounded like he was getting very, very winded and just leaving everything on the table for it. 
Wait, he forgets the while you were sitting home alone on early on. Whatever substances have kicked in a little bit. He's not having a good time. Sure. But yeah. uh, he goes over and pulls out like a cardboard version of himself from like 1992 or something. And like is. Oh, with the helmet. Yeah. And like looks at it and like he kind of has a moment where he looks at it kind of like, hmm, if you only knew what I know, my friend. And then he ends up like destroying it or like punching it. He pours beer into it or pour wine into it or something. He has a little moment with his early 90s self. No. If his early 90s self had a cardboard cut out of him now, he'd kick the shit out of that even more. Ooh. (laughs) If only. But everyone's still alive. Everyone's excited. We are now going to get to that moment in the night where everybody that is anybody that was at this show gets invited onto the stage. I don't have everybody's name here, I'm sure. But the most bizarre conglomeration of people ever on stage at a Pearl Jam show. I, PJ20 was the only one that I can think of that had at least the same amount. But again, those were all opening bands, so it made sense. This is not all opening bands here. You got Corn Tucker, Carrie Brownstein, you got Andrew Watt, Taylor Hawkins, which is very important. Kelly Slater, Randy Johnson, John McEnroe, and Tim Robbins. That's very unconventional there, but they all have ties. Like, you know that Kelly Slater and Ned have been friends forever. Randy Johnson went to the first ever Temple of the Dog show. John McEnroe has been playing guitar for a very, very long time. And I I know from Steve Bennett, who's told me before that John McEnroe was at the show with uh, former Rangers goalie Henrik Lugwist, which that to me is like, that's the coolest thing in the world. I want to go to show with Henrik. So that, that was very cool. Tim Robbins, of course, you know, Gob Roberts and everything. So yep. that. Patty Smith is there. Patty Smith is there. Yep. Chad Smith, he doesn't say Chad Smith, but Chad Smith is there too. The brothers that play for Brandy, and Brandy's out there, of course. Mm-hmm. They're out there. They're by Mike's side and hitting some tambourines and singing and all that. Mikey's and there. Mikey's the, there. The bench, the organ bench, playing some tambourine, right. rocking out. It's a pretty cool little all-star game they put together, you know? Yeah. Well, there are two moments. Oh, no, there aren't two moments. There's really three moments that make this special. And I think the first moment comes from Porn Tucker. Takes me all the way back to 2003, 2005, right there. Ooh. When she came on and she did Rockin' in the Free World and just like freak during that, one more kid. It just sounded so good. You know, you wouldn't ask for anybody to do it better than her. So that was very, very well done. Second moment in this is a little bit of dueling solos between Mike McCready and Mini Mike McCready, would be Andrew Watt. Of course, we don't know that at the time. Yeah, we would really get to know what once Earthlings came out. Yeah. 
think like, okay, who is this guy? And why is he like so buddy buddy with Mike and like with everybody? He's like, yeah, yeah, almost to like the extent. And I kind of always, in a way, like very early on of like trying to understand who he was and like, what did you do to get here, man? Like, we've all been big fans of this band and seen them play, and you're coming out of nowhere almost, you know. And I think that's a lot of. I don't know if it's territorial or not, but I think that's a lot of what Pearl Jam fans kind of see in him is that, well, you've done stuff like Post Malone and Miley Cyrus, and now you're jumping into our band. I don't know if it's a how dare you kind of thing, but it's a like, what have you done to deserve this? I don't know. I don't say those things, but I think there are other people that think them. Yeah, he and Mike have a long moment together. Mike goes up and plays around with him. Stone comes up and is jamming with him a little bit. Like, He's right behind Ed basically this whole time in these purple pants. And it's like, we know now he's a very big fan. Obviously, he knows the band very well. They've had nothing but good things to say about him this past year, but a little strange at the time. A little bit, but it's at least there's, like yeah, he's producing a record. There's going on. Right. There, so it's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have him, Josh, Mike, Stone, Carrie. Josh tries to give his guitar to John McEnroe at one point, like, dude, play. And he's like, no, thanks, I'm good. You know why? He's a lefty. Mm. That's why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The number three and probably most important, especially looking back on this big moment, is just seeing all three of those staple 90s drummers, Matt Cameron, Chad Smith, Taylor Hawkins, all just obliterate the ending of this. The atomic bomb was set and went off. Oh my goodness. I've never heard thunder rumble this much. Yeah, you know, Taylor, six months later, everything would change. And it adds a little bit of weight and a little bit of sadness to this performance watching him. You know, we talked about he kind of grew up in this area. Foo Fighters just played Ohana Encore this past week, a couple weeks ago. And Dave talked about, like, he basically grew up here and they dedicated a song to him like they do every night. And, yeah, it's a little bittersweet to watch this knowing what would happen in 2022. Yeah, it is. It is. But then again, like, you think of it on the other side of things and, like, you know, you're happy that they had this moment while he was still here. But it does feel like so soon after having this big happy moment where Taylor got to sing Queen songs or Iron Maiden songs, depending on who you are that's listening. Looked like he was in such a great spirits like he always is. There's nothing different, nothing wrong here. And like you just kind of think it's just Taylor being Taylor. But on that other side, thinking that they were able to have this moment, I'm sure that both of the Matt and Chad We'll think about this a lot and think about how good that felt. And I can't get into their minds, especially Matt, who was very, very, very close with Taylor, as we all know. But you'd have to think that maybe he thinks of this fondly still. So, well, the big party energy, of course, uh, that's how you're going to end it. And everybody throwing tambourines and playing tambourines and just having the time of their lives. And that's what it is like to play at a Pearl Jam show during COVID, where you're breaking every single COVID barrier that there is. 
Nobody was being careful, were they? All right, let's dig into picking some moments from this. You go first. Yep, yep. As good as this version of Black is, I feel it feels like I've picked a lot of Blacks lately, so I'm going to give just Black the honorable mention here, and I'm going to go Quick Escape, number three, Wishlist, number two, Rocket of the Free World, number one. I think what I'll do here is I'm going to go laugh at this. Everyone's just going to laugh at me, I know. I'm going to go again today as my number three. I really think Brandy's a terrific artist. I, I love, I saw her last year. She was terrific. She's awesome. You haven't gone and seen her live yet. You probably have a thousand opportunities. She is relentless whenever she tours. And my number two. <laughs> yep. It's all night. Nice. I don't think I ever, we did it, guys. ever. We did it. Ever. You, you didn't do it. They did it. You did nothing. Say, did you like, play the song? We, you know, we've been waiting for this. Me and the listeners, we're happy for you. Well, just be happy that you got to hear a song that kicked ass. Like, don't be yeah. happy for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not necessarily a happy moment unless it's just the song playing. Like, that's well, it'll never that's happen it. again. You'll never hear no. all night in the top three again from Randy. Yeah, not at all. My number one is the party. It is absolutely rocking in the free world. That's the big scene that you take away and those three moments that I mentioned right there they're so vital to I guess a little bit of the history of this band even if you want to go there like you know Korn being a continued supporter and avid fan and basically one of those bands that Pearl Jam showcased and everyone flocked to during that time and then Andrew Watt and Mike doing their thing together that's foretelling for the future and then unfortunately foretelling for the future being with taylor hawkins too but getting to see him play with pearl jam is just something that shouldn't be taken for granted at this stage of the game at all all right let's rate this show this is tough these first shows back i'm kind of in a range i don't know uh I don't know where to go. I'm going to I'm going to give this one a seven and a half, which may seem a little bit low, but it's still very good. There's still a lot of good stuff here to go back to, but I don't think they were quite there yet. And as far as being back from the layoff. So I'm going to give this a seven point five with a little up arrow being like it would quickly get better. This is the first week in, I think, the last five that we are going to disagree break that streak sad to see it go but there's always opportunities to get it back i think they did have it to be honest with you i think that while not every single performance was the greatest they've ever had i think that for the time and for the situation they were playing to and for this just being the last of a very very short run they were celebrating the whole thing and i got that by listening to this and well, I go back to individual performances, a couple of them I definitely will. You know, I didn't mention Life Wasted, but that could have easily been in my top three. It was just the vibe of the whole entire show, and you, you get that. I remember people talking about it afterwards and just being so happy, and maybe that goes into a little bit of what my rating's going to be, but people were just so thrilled to be there after these shows that I kind of look at that and I'm like, who am I to say that this was a such-and-such such show 
So I'm giving the show a nine. I think that they wow. hit a lot of really, really cool moments. And like even nobody picked even flown their top three guys. <laughs> Whoops are bad. But again, maybe there are more moments in this show that are worthy of discussion than not. Maybe again, going back to why it deserves a nine. Maybe there are more than you kind of consider, but the whole show just had a, just a vibe to it. And that doesn't happen too often. The set was constructed in that way. And I think they did a really, really nice job with it. All right. Well, we'll get back on some kind of streak next week because this is one of those. Yeah. It's pretty obvious what's going to happen kind of shows. That's because we're at the 30 years of verses. Can you believe that? This deserved way more tee-up than it did. Yeah, there's been a lot going on, but we should have done like two months worth of celebrating 30 years of verses, and so, so should the band have. Unfortunately, they didn't. Now comes the time where they're going to talk about it a little bit, but we're heading up to Slim's for next week. We'll have a great guest in Kathy Davis, who used to run two feet thick and did the footsteps fanzine from very, very long time ago. And she's just a wonderful human being. So I can't wait to talk to her for that episode. She was outside of the venue and got to witness everything from the outside instead of the inside. So it was a really cool perspective that we're able to kind of see this upon. And I've been told, and I'm going to stick with this. I've been told not to call it Slim's cafe because it was never called Slim's cafe. I don't know why it's been repeated like that in history and neither do the people in San Francisco that have held that in very, very high regard, but I will cater to what they have to say. I trust them the most. So we're calling it slims, you guys. So there's that. And we'll be doing it next week. Should be a very important show. Of course, if you don't know, basically everything from versus was debuted that day and some vitality and some lost dogs. So no lack of conversation at all. All right. If you like the show, hopefully you guys have subscribed over on Apple and Spotify. Those are the two top places. But if you listen to this podcast on another platform, then please feel free. Definitely get subscribed over there. Give them some love as well. If you would like to rate us five stars, please do. We think we deserve it. I hope you guys think we deserve it too. We put in a lot of effort and research into this and hopefully have told you all the right stories. Hopefully that is earning of five stars to click on on that rating scale. And if you are over on Apple and listen to your podcast on Apple Podcast, then please, if you do rate us five stars, then leave us a comment as well. It's going to help everybody that's looking at this podcast as some potential to listen to when they're thinking about Pearl Jam Podcast and say, this is something that I want to dig into. So without your help on that, without your comments, maybe they don't get to see that. So one last thing before I say goodbye, definitely, if you haven't yet, check out our episode or conversation with Joaquin Zuatanejo, the poet laureate from Dallas that had that poem that Ed read at the Fort Worth show that just, there was not a dry eye in the house. And really, there was almost not a dry eye in that conversation while talking to him either. Please go out of your way and listen to that because it is one of the best things that we've done in a very, very long time. And even just in general that we've done. So yeah, he was a great guest. It is on the same platforms that I've told you about before. All right, uh, let's close it. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. 
All right, 1993, this is not a year we've touched up on a whole lot, but Slim should be a lot of fun. So if you're into it, we'll see you next week. One, two, three, four, five against one.